For you created my inmost being. You knit me together in my mother's womb. I praise you because I am fearfully and wonderfully made. Your works are wonderful. I know that full well. My frame was not hidden from you when I was made in the secret place, when I was woven together in the depths of the earth. Your eyes saw my unformed body. All the days ordained for me were written in your book before one of them came to be. How precious to me are your thoughts, God. How vast the sum of them. Well, good morning, everybody. If you're new with us, I especially want to welcome you this morning. Thanks for joining our community. I was mindful as uh, Kyle was uh, officiating the baptism that you have to kind of be in a community like this. You have to be in church to see that kind of a thing. It doesn't happen in our world very often. Just those beautiful expressions of faith. And I pray that whatever the Lord does this morning, that you would leave not just simply uh, inspired, but encouraged, perhaps some transformation that might go on in your own hearts. Yesterday, uh, I was watching the news. I didn't know about the news until my wife told me through a text about what was happening in Israel. We have a pretty close relationship with Israel here um, at Hope. We've been going there for the last few years. Uh, We have a man named Ezra who is a uh, Jewish man who believes in Christ, uh, who takes us. Uh, He's over there uh, on a trip right now, I believe. So we're praying for that nation, and I just wanted to take a moment to pray for them, but also um, the Palestinian people that are looking for peace, uh, that uh, are not looking for war. And we want to pray for all of them. On moments like this, I'm sort of reminded of John 3.16, right? God so loved the world. He's involved. Our faith, our Christianity is not just an American thing. That there are people all over the world seeking God. And in the Jewish faith, there's often something that they will say uh, at the beginning of their synagogue services or sometimes after a death or even a birth. They will say, would you say with me the Shema? The Shema comes from Deuteronomy, and it says, Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one, and you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your strength, and with all your soul. Let's pray for our world and pray for the nation. So, Lord Jesus Christ, would you intervene? Father, you are a God who yields justice and yet mercy. So we pray for the people of Israel. We pray for those who are crying out to you that they might see your face in the light of Jesus Christ. And we pray for the people of Palestine, Lord, who are fearful now of what may happen. And we pray, Father, that you would comfort families, that you would draw near. Lord, you love the world. You've loved us. And so we give um, this nation to you, Lord. May there be peace in Jesus' name. Amen. I love uh, Sunday mornings. I love to see all of you, but I also love to see our church in their natural habitat. Work, play, school, wherever you might be. Before corporate offices were more secure, I would walk in sometimes to CarMax or Circuit City to see someone who worked there from our church. And I might go in and say to the security guide, I'm looking for John Smith. 
I've changed the name to protect the innocent. (laughs) I'm looking for John Smith. He tells me he's the president. Now, I didn't know if he was a president or not. I just figured, you know, I want to honor the people of hope and assume the very best of them. (laughs) So I might say, I'm John's pastor. And they're like, I'm John's pastor. And we were watching last week. He didn't put anything in the offering plate. I'm here to to see John. I don't think the security guard thought it was very funny. <laughs> Sometimes he would let me up. <laughs> so I would go up and I'd see John and I'd look around his desk to make sure there was a scripture verse or maybe a picture of me for inspiration. <laughs> <clears throat> or sometimes I might run into a hoper or, or somebody on our staff even at the grocery store on a weekend wearing nothing but sweats and very little makeup. And they seem a little embarrassed, but I think it's great. They have this, I give up, look. (laughs) Or maybe there's a bunch of adult beverages in their cart and they kind of feel a little bit uh, embarrassed. uh, And they tell me it's for a party they're having that night. (laughs) Sometimes it looks like the people of hope are having a pretty big party, actually. So I like to see the people of hope in their natural habitat, but is it natural? Is it our natural habitat? Is there a reason we can feel a longing for something more in this world? Is there a reason we can feel out of place or even disheartened when we're at home? So today we close our series on being human. We've talked about being created in the image of God and how we have lost some of that. We talked about our identity as being in Jesus Christ. We talk about sin separating us from God, but then God's work through Jesus Christ to restore us. And today we close our series on being human, and we're going to look at a passage in Ecclesiastes of what God has put in our hearts as humans. So we're going to read just one verse from the NLT, the New Living Translation, and this is what it says in Ecclesiastes 3, verse 11. Yet God has made everything beautiful for its own time. He has planted eternity in the human heart. But even so, people cannot see the whole scope of God's work from beginning to end. So how do we, how do we understand our place in this world in the backdrop of eternity? What should being human look like for us when this apparently isn't our final home. Let me give you some context. I think the author of Ecclesiastes is putting his gift of wisdom and poetry to work. He's trying to define in the confines of time what it means to be human. But his perspective is limited to that which is under the sun. He even speaks of it in that way. So he's examining life within the boundaries of the visible world, but he senses there's something more. So picture these kinds of times in your own life. Listen to the poetry of Ecclesiastes right before the verse that we read that I think echoes the poetry of our own lives. He says this, for, every, for everything there is a season. A time for every activity under the sun. A time to be born. And a time to die. A time to cry. And a time to laugh. A time to grieve. 
But then there's a time to dance, a time to search, and a time to quit searching, a time to tear, but a time to mend, a time to be quiet, and a time to speak. And then do our verse. Yet God has made everything beautiful for its own time. He has planted eternity in our hearts. But even so, people cannot see the whole scope of God's work from the beginning to the end. So what does that mean? Here's another way to look at Ecclesiastes 3. God's beautiful world is too big for us. We cannot see the whole scope of God's world. But even if we could, its satisfactions, the author is saying, are too small for us. The world can't even be taken in, but even if it could be, the satisfactions that the world offers us is too small for us. So that means if God has made us for eternal thing, then the things of the world are never going to complete us. One commentator put it this way. We can feel, feel like aliens in a world of time and limitations. Could it be that we were made for the timeless? Probably all of us at one time or another has said, I don't have enough time. Is there a drive in us? Is there something in us that feels like there needs to be more? The author says God has placed eternity in your heart. He's given you a sense that there's something more. And so that means we feel the need for our work to last or for someone that we love to never die. But we get frustrated or sad because we deal with trouble or sickness or not enough time. I'm sure you felt that way. Do you ever feel sad when the vacation ends? The job that you want Somebody said, no, this is not going to be a good fit. Or even more heartbreaking, when someone you love dies. Being human, created in the image of God, means that we're also yearning for something more. We want a love that will last forever. Or a life that leaves a legacy after we're gone. And I think the Bible speaks of this from Genesis to Revelation. The Bible says that in the beginning, God created us in his image. But more often than not, we feel less incomplete. Where's that coming from? But one day, Revelation says that farther along, there will be a new heaven and a new earth. A world where there will be no more mourning or crying or pain, and we yearn for that. A world where everything sad becomes untrue. Can it be possible? From beginning to end, God has planted eternity in your hearts, and we cannot fight it. Listen to the prophet Isaiah from the Old Testament. The wolf will live with the lamb. The leopard will lie down with the goat. The calf and the lion and the yearling together. And a little child will lead them. Does anybody know that to be true today? That the wolf will live with the lamb? I think the author is saying home is where natural predators and enemies end. And then listen to the prophet Ezekiel. For I will take you out of the nations. 
I will gather you from all the countries and bring you back to your own land. I will give you a new heart and put a new spirit in you. I will remove from you your heart of stone and give you a heart of flesh. This is what the sovereign Lord says. On that day, I will cleanse you from all your sins. I will resettle your towns and ruins will be rebuilt. And they will say, this land that was laid to waste has become like the garden of even. Tim Keller said that these prophecies of the Old Testament about returning God's people from exile are over the top. It must mean more than returning God's people from exile. Their claims are enormous. The lion will lay down with the lamb. These are promises beyond returning the people, the Jewish people to Israel, to their own homeland. They are about restoring the Garden of Eden, which is a real place in this world. These promises in the Bible are current for us. They are about bringing us home to a new heaven and a new earth. Do you ever feel it? If God has put eternity in our hearts, it means that there's times in this life where you feel like you got one foot in something else, one foot in eternity and one foot in time. Frederick Beekner puts it this way. Sometimes an event occurs in our lives, a birth, a death, a marriage, some event of some unusual beauty, pain, or joy through which we catch a glimpse of what our lives were all about and maybe even what life itself is all about. When my granddaughter, Lennon, was recently born, I could not wait to hold her. She came over to the house last night. Well, she, her mother drove her to the house last <laughs> night. She's only three weeks old. That would be a long time crawling. I remember that first time in the hospital with her, and it had been a full week. She was born, I believe, on a Thursday. That's just like a guy not to remember the date, the Thursday. And I held her for a long time. There was something about that day, and I didn't want to let her go. My wife was like, oh, no, I got her. Life can be really hard. But at that moment, my schedule or my worries didn't matter. I was holding this precious little girl in my arms. And although she didn't know it, she was telling me this is what really matters in life. This love in my arms felt like the eternal peace that I often long for. Where does that come from? God has placed eternity in the hearts of human beings. At the death of my friend Ken a few years ago, time stopped. It's all we could think about. All that mattered was friends getting together to share stories of his life. So we laughed and we cried and we grieved 
because we felt alone and we felt left behind. All of us yearn for a love that will last for eternity. Where does that come from? Tim, Ge- Tim Keller, who died recently, once said, don't mask your profound spiritual homelessness by thinking if I just had a great family, a bigger home, more money, or not the tragedies in this life, or even a bigger boat, maybe everything would be okay. Our deepest desire is not for those things. God has put it in our hearts. Our deepest desire is to have a love that lasts forever. But here's what we know. Here's the reality of the world that we live in. Someone you love may die before you do. But despite our deepest grief, there still remains a great promise. It's where we have our hope. Jesus has opened the door to eternity for all of us. Jesus was exiled on the cross so that we could come home and be reunited. I've been reading through the book of John, and this week in preparation for the sermon, I just was reading a random chapter in the morning, John 14, and the words jumped off the page to me, knowing that I was preaching this, because Jesus said in John 14, because I live, you will live. This is the promise of the empty grave. So this past week, I was preparing my heart to preach. (laughs) And sometimes I'll simply sing a chorus that I know. I try to make sure no one's listening and I'm out on my front porch. And I ask for God's leading. And this week, it was this. Turn your eyes upon Jesus. Look full in his wonderful face. And it went on. And I thought, okay. I feel a peace. I can go at the sermon. I thought that was nice. My soul is at rest. But then God laid this on my heart. That this was it. It had everything to do with God planting eternity in the human heart. Turn your eyes upon Jesus. There's only one place in the New Testament where it's crystal clear that Jesus defines eternity. Now, you might be jumping to the book of Revelation if you're in church world and say, well, wait, it says there'll be no more crying and praying. Yeah, that's defining what heaven may look like. But there's only one place in the New Testament where it's crystal clear that Jesus defined eternity and he uses the word. And it's right before Jesus went to the cross in a prayer that he prayed for us in John 17. And this is what he said. Now, this is eternal life, that they may know you, the only true God and Jesus Christ whom you have sent. Could it be that there is more to eternal life than us just waiting to get there? Could it mean there is more to this life? And then we know we're busy in this life when we do our things, but could it mean there is so much more? I believe that God has put a desire for us to know him and his son, Jesus Christ, right here and right now to get a glimpse of eternity 
in the face of Jesus Christ. As David Dwight once said at a recent memorial, there is not life and an afterlife. It's all life. Because I live, you will live. Dallas Willard put it this way. Eternity is now in session. We can put our trust in idols. We can put our trust in people that will go from dust to dust. Or we can trust ultimately in Jesus Christ who gives us eternal life. Pastor John Ortberg once said this, eternal life in the individual does not begin after death. But at the point where God touches the individual with redeeming grace and draws them into a life interactive with himself and his kingdom. So I wrote an eternity prayer this week (laughs) to help keep my eyes on the right thing to remind me that I can see, feel, or give to eternal things right now. And this is what I wrote. Father, give me the gifts to give generously to the poor, restoration to the sick, joy to those in sorrow, and love to call the prodigal home. Jesus Christ, Son of the living God, illuminate the light of eternal life through me. In Arlington National Cemetery, there is what they call an eternal flame over the grave of John F. Kennedy. Jacqueline Kennedy wanted it there, commissioned it, because she didn't want her husband to be forgotten. But I believe that there's a light within us right now that burns as real as that is burning for something more. And burns in us right now so that it can burn brighter for others to see. So last night I got up, couldn't sleep, and so I just thought about my own life, and I thought, you know, the older I get the brighter the light of eternity burns in my heart. And it's not just because I'm closer to it or I see a world in trouble. It's because I've tried. And I've failed too often to make much of my life in this world. But now I want to make much of God. My heart is softer to the brokenhearted, more compassionate to the poor that hold the signs as you're leaving the mall, south side, west end, or in the city, more aware of our greater world and the pain of the people in Israel and Palestine. When God so loved the world, grows stronger in us. Eternity will burn brighter in your heart. Our longing for more, our longing for home is the eternal flame that burns in our heart. God has planted it there.
It reminds us that we're made for something more. And it reminds us, friends, we will never be forgotten. God has put it there. And he is drawing us to himself. The Apostle Paul put it this way. For God who said, let light shine out of darkness, made his light shine in our hearts to give us light in the knowledge of God's glory displayed in the face of Jesus. Economic instability, disease, death, depression, it can hurt us. But it does not have the power to destroy us because we have an eternal home. God placing eternity in our heart is not an escape from the trials or the work that we still have in this world. But it is a glorious hope we can experience as we turn our eyes upon Jesus. We can imagine. We can see. We can know that being human means that we're made for eternity. This is our natural habitat, indeed. So as I close in prayer, I want to pray for us. I want to pray for those of you that are seeking something more and you haven't found it. Or maybe you sought God but you've forgotten about the eternity that lives in your heart. Would you pray for me and with me? So Lord Jesus Christ, for those who are here this morning who simply walked in and weren't sure what they would experience, I pray that you would speak to their hearts even now that they might be able to pray a prayer like this. Lord Jesus Christ, I have made much of myself. Forgive me. May I now make much more of you. Would you come into my heart? Would you burn in my heart? Would you put me in a community of people that will love me and support me? Lord, I give my life to you. Turn your eyes upon Jesus. Look full in his wonderful face. And the things of this world will go strangely dim in the light of his glory and grace. Amen.